you know, it's something that's instilled in us as leaders in the military is understanding your people. It's such a basic thing. And a lot of that's been lost. And it's just because of enterprise situations. People are working in large organizations, but it really takes uh, a veteran to have a positive experience or a negative experience to kind of elevate the opportunity there. Hi there, and welcome into a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. West Point graduate Kevin Emore is a retired captain and team leader in the U.S. Army, where he earned a Bronze Star and Combat Action Badge for service in Iraq. After transitioning from the military, he held numerous leadership roles, including Director of Special Projects for the VA, where he established a pathway for private sector companies to reach veterans through direct contributions or partnerships with veteran service organizations. Kevin also served as the Global Partnership Manager for Food and Fitness at Nike, where he worked to improve employee engagement and retention by focusing on holistic employee health. He is the first executive director of a new military and veteran nonprofit, militaryconnected.org. We are honored to have Captain Kevin Emore join us here on Celebrity Salute. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Great, Randy. Thanks for having me. So it's a a pretty big responsibility, man. You know, you got a a brand new nonprofit. You got to pick a guy to lead it. and, uh, And you're the guy. Hopefully, <laughs> that's that's what the that's what the powers that's that the be. Idea think. anyway, right? <laughs> that's the idea. Um, yeah. So I mean, I have a unique kind of background, kind of spanning military, government, and the uh, you know the commercial sector. So I've really seen transition through a different, a couple different lenses. So when I had the opportunity to kind of come on and and help lead Military Connected, it was a no brainer for me because I saw the real need in our in our community for it. Well, and before we get into uh, to what they do and what you do, tell us a little bit about that background. You've done a little bit of uh, everything. West Pointer, right? Yep, yep. Uh, West what was Point your experience at West Point? Well, I was a hockey player, and we have a little bit of a different experience as an athlete at West Point. Um, the, the the thing about West Point that's always kind of rewarding is, you know, going off into the military and seeing a lot of your classmates kind of on the ground it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable kind of when you're out in the field. Um, But went to West Point for undergrad. Um, All of my time uh, served. I was an artillery officer, FAOBC at Fort Sill. Um, First duty station was in uh, Korea up in warrior one, as we called it at the time. So not a ton of freedom, but amazing learning experience for a young officer. You know, you go in, you don't have a ton of else to do. So you're learning your job. So I'm very appreciative of that time there. And then went to Germany and kind of deployed from Germany, um, was in first armor. So Ramadi hit Ambar province, 06, 07, um, and then kind of transitioned, you know, I, hockey came back into my life after I redeployed back to Germany, I was able to play a little bit. And then uh, after my time in the military worked for uh, Congressman Patrick Murphy, he was a professor of mine at West Point. Um, so re- uh, really recruited me as I was leaving in the military, spent some time with his staff. And then I was in the Middle East uh, working for Richard Clark's firm, Good Harbor, for several years doing counterterrorism, international policy type work through in the Middle East. Um, The last thing I did there was set up something called the Hedaya Center, which is a center for countering violent extremism. So really focused on getting ahead of that dynamic threat around counterterrorism. So focusing on children, sports, arts, culture, because once someone's radicalized, it's really hard to bring them back. 
So how can we get ahead of that kind of dynamic threat? Right. Um, but at that point, it was time to go back to the U.S. I went to grad school at the Monterey Institute of International Studies, um, receiving my master's in nonproliferation and, and terrorism studies. Um, went to Kenya, did some refugee work there, was pulled back into the Obama administration to work in the VA. Um, so at the VA, that really pulled me back to the veteran space. And I was working kind of public-private partnerships, understanding that the sea of goodwill out there in the community really can, you know, there's more efficient ways that it can arrive at the veterans. So that was really my kind of first dose back into the veteran space. Went to Nike, was doing global health there for mm. about five years. But when I had the opportunity to kind of leave the commercial space to help veterans and come back into the nonprofit world, it was something I jumped at. Well, and along the way, you picked up a bronze star. I mean, that's... Uh... Uh, that's incredible. Um, congratulations on that. And, 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 uh, thank you so much for your service. You don't look old enough to have done all of that. I mean, that's a lot um, of stuff. I will thank my mom for my jeans. I'll tell her. <laughs> well, let me ask you about a couple of those things. Number one, uh, hockey players. So that means you're also, uh, excellent at golf. So, I won't, wouldn't call myself excellent at golf. I don't know if anybody's excellent at golf. It's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a labor of love. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I, I got the swing down. Um, my short game is atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they always say, though. You know, if, you, if you're a really good hockey player, you're, you're going to transition to golf very easily uh, and, and baseball. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, nobody wants to take you on. Uh, nobody believes your handicap and, uh, and and those kind of things. So, and the other thing I want to talk about is Kenya. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I actually, I actually played golf at a country club in Kenya, uh, in, uh, in Nairobi. And, um, they told me before I played there that there would be some large monkeys, uh, on the fairways trying to get your ball. And I thought, sure, that's true. I mean, yes. it, it, it's, it's unbelievable. How was your experience in Kenya? Um, I love my experience in Kenya. Um, I did probably play the same golf course. I hit it over yeah. the green about <laughs> sure. six times because of the elevation. <laughs> but um, I, I went there because originally I was focused on, uh, obviously, counterterrorism, leaving um, grad school. And I hadn't spent a ton of time in East Africa. I'd spent some time in Rwanda. But Al-Shabaab was a, an emerging threat at the time. ISIS was kind of pulling them in. So my idea was I need to go on the ground and get some experience about understanding the culture and how things are evolving there. Pulled into the refugee world and really changed my perspective on a lot of things. Once you, once you, you know, you personalize these people, it's hard to kind of take a harder line from a, from a counterterrorism perspective because you right. see their needs and wants and struggles. And, and so I'm a huge advocate of accepting refugees. You know, the, the, the process they go through for two years is is incredibly intensive and in the vetting that they go through. I'm really confident in our um, in our process uh, in the United States. That's not where the terrorists are coming from, from that right. population. And that's clear to it's, it's important to make that clear. Well, and I think a lot a lot of times, too, Kevin, I think people get ahead of themselves uh, speaking out for groups that they have no knowledge of. And that's always been a, a, a kind of a thing with me. You know, you can't, don't, don't tell me what those people are suffering if you're not one of those people or, or, or what, right. what they, what they need uh, if you don't know what they need. So I think that's very intelligent on your uh, part. And it did, boy, that changed. I mean, the, the trip to Kenya sure changed me and changed my mm -hmm. attitude toward a lot of things because, um, 
and and especially you know the pride that you feel to live in this country because you know in other cultures like that as you well know uh you've got the haves and the have nots and that's it i mean there's yeah. that's about it right there's no there's no middle class and yeah. and that you know and the kenyan people are just so welcoming and warm i i, right. I work with the school there still um with kids and we try to you know support them and um, and just seeing kind of their faces, but their teachers are all volunteer teachers. It's a concept that I don't know if we as Americans could even understand <laughs> the, the love of the community that much that they're just volunteering their time to make sure these kids have an education. Um, it's just the selflessness is is something that will always stick with me. I got to tell you a funny story. I, I had a driver over there, uh, really just a cool guy. And he, he kind of shepherded me around different places. And we went to an, uh, one of the open air markets one day. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know anything about what something costs, what what it's worth. And I was looking at uh, I think it was like a wallet or something. And uh, the guy gave me the price and I started to get some money out. And the driver came up and stepped on my shoe. And I, I said, uh, are you OK? And he goes, I step you. And I said, <laughs> I, I know you did. And he goes, Oh, if it is if it's wrong price, I step you. And I go, okay. So, yep. so anything, anything too, too expensive, he would step me. I step you. Uh, yep. He was, he was your buddy that from that yeah. point on. And it is, it is amazing. Like how quickly you become friends with people in foreign it countries. Re- and it they really kind is. Of serve as your guardian. Cause they want you to have a good experience with their right. culture too. Right. So it, right. yeah. So it, it, it's always, I've had, you know, I've traveled quite a bit just given my job and other things and, and just the passion around travel. And I've, you know, there are exceptions, for, but for the most part, people really want to show you their culture and show you why they love living there. Yeah, it, it's it's really great. And we we went to the uh, uh, the, the po- very impoverished areas. And I think I think they were called the slums. I think that's what they, mm. they called them. And uh, there were, you know, people living in these mud huts and, and different things. And but at the same time, um, offering to sell you their art, you know, they had had made some incredible art and i ended up with a piece of art from there that i that i really treasure and but you're right it's it's such a great uh you know welcoming culture there uh except for except for the police except for the law enforcement they'll take a little cash yeah yeah i learned a lot there from that that uh, if they stop you for any reason you just pay them and go about your merry way. <laughs> I fortunately had a, I fortunately, my, uh, one of my partners there, a, a buddy of mine was a police chief. So as soon as I got stopped for anything, I was making a phone call to him because it was, because you, you know how it is like, and that's not, that, that's not unique to Kenya. I've, I've no, no, no. into that. Yeah. Yeah. In many, sure. many places where uh, the police officers are stopping you basically for a check. Right. right. A lot of people walking over there. Yes. A lot of people running. The school I work with in uh, in Eldoret, uh, Eldoret's a small town in northern Kenya. 80% of their Olympic athletes come from one town. Like they're running Olympic athletes. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Maybe 80 is a is a strong number, but it's a it's a significant it's more than it's more than 50% of their come from one town. They can't really figure out why it's it's fascinating. It is an elevation, but 
not significantly more than the rest of the country. Right, right, right. I mean, like going to Colorado to train, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what a fascinating uh, uh, career uh, uh, that you've had. Uh, I want to go back to West Point for just a second. Who is the guy that played for the Pittsburgh Steelers that went to West Point? Oh, uh, Al Villanueva. Uh, yep. We had him. We had him on the program, and he told us some things about his uh, time at, at West Point and some different kind of challenges they have for the first year guys. I, um, well, I, we could talk about any one of those. It, it was funny. <laughs> I, a, co- a couple of years ago. I, I was doing a, um, a show called uh, for CBS called uh, The Triumph Games, and we took a bunch of adaptive athletes, veteran adaptive athletes, back to West Point and put them through a full battery of cadet challenges. Oh, so man. It was really amazing. I'm sure, I'm sure um, Villanueva talked about the IOCT, which is kind of the, one of those yeah. really difficult, challenging events. And we had a guy that was an above-the-knee amputee just crush it. It was one of the really? more impressive and, yeah, things that I've seen. Um, just to see those athletes kind of in that environment adapting and showing we don't need any special concessions. We're going to figure it out. Right, right. The first time I realized that, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., and I, we, we did the show from the American Red Cross, and they brought in some wounded warriors, and they were going to compete in, uh, in a marathon there. And, boy, I mean, when I went into that room, I mean – forget the wounded part. I mean, they are anything but, and I mean, they are up for the challenge. They were ready to go. I've seen them carry those 40 pound ruck packs and, and run. And uh, it, it's just, it, it just makes you proud. It, it does. And I half the crazy things I've done in my, I've done in my life that are usually because a disabled vet friend says, if I can do it, how, what's your excuse? I know. So, I know. So. <laughs> I know. So I find myself you got no excuse. Every third, yeah, <laughs> running through the desert. So let's, let's talk about this dot Um, you know, we, we talk to companies all the time on this show that, uh, and I understand you guys, um, uh, understand this too, about how companies now are not, not really finally. I think a lot of companies have always understood uh, what a great employee a veteran makes, but I, I think a lot more is is coming through for that. And you guys uh, not only help veterans find jobs, but you also make them uh, or help them find the right jobs, right? Yeah, and, and that's and that's that's a really great synopsis of what we're trying to do. I mean, we're trying to evolve the transition experience for veterans. So if we think about our prime audience, you know, we're working with a ton of employers, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that a veteran has a more positive experience, whether it's transitioning out of their current employment, out of the military, or even if you're a military spouse that wants to get involved. And when I say evolve the kind of the the experience, it's not an indictment of the experience right now. It's just an understanding that there is an, as you you mentioned, there's an entire sea of goodwill out there of -hmm. companies that want to help, that value hiring veterans, but they don't really know how. And I, and I wouldn't even call their commitment inauthentic. They really want to help veterans. Sure. But we give them the tools, whether it's military hiring practices, how to interview a veteran. Can you talk to a veteran at that company before you even apply to say, hey, would this job work for me, given my background? Those little things, you know, we can talk about data and, and, and talent, but it is really a degree of thoughtfulness as well. Mm-hmm. Who is this who is this community that we're trying to engage? What's important to them? And how do I make them feel safe and put them in the best position to succeed? 
Yeah, you're not just checking the box and saying we got a veteran employed. And, you know, there right. is so much of that. I did, I, And I didn't realize until I looked at some of your information uh, with militaryconnected.org about how many I knew I knew that there uh, are a lot of veterans that are underemployed and doing things far less than what they did in the military. I didn't realize that those people that are underemployed usually only last about a year or two in that job. Absolutely. I, um, I think 42% of veterans are exiting their first job, um, first civilian job within um, uh, 12 months, and then 80% within two years. Oh. So what you identified is absolutely correct. Some of it's, we don't even know what we don't know as we're sure. getting out. We think that we want to do something, but when we, when we get there, maybe that's not right for us. That's one challenge. But the other challenge is people genuinely liking what they're doing, but they don't feel like they're welcome at their company. And it just takes a few things. I mean, I, I worked at Nike, which is a heavily commercial and civilian company, sure. but I had a positive experience because I had a mentor who had a mil military background once Man, I arrived. It, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? It makes all, all the difference in the world. And then when that, that individual left, one of the best leaders, uh, I'll mention him by name, Charles Levit Leverton, one of the best leaders I've ever had. But when he leaves, all that institutional knowledge lives with them. And if you're not committed to really making that evolution and that change, it's not systemic and therefore not sustained. I was uh, men mentoring a 22-year um, female Navy veteran. And uh, when she retired, you know, and a lot of, a lot of vets have a tough time with transition. She, number one, missed it so much. I mean, she missed her time in the military so much. And, but she had a clear vision. I mean, she had an MBA. She had a clear vision. She, she should have been mentoring me. I mean, <laughs> but she's, she had a clear vision of what she wanted to do. And so she wanted to do something in Virginia Beach, uh, where, where she lived, which makes it even tougher, right? If you don't want to, you know, relocate. But, um, she managed to get, uh, get her first job. Uh, I think we helped her a little bit get rid of some of the, the military jargon so she could, you know, interview well and some other things, but he, she just didn't fit into her first job. And mm -hmm. the thing that I, I was struck by, you know, we would talk and she would, she would say, Randy, these, these people, they don't know how to do their jobs. She goes, you know, in the military, she was a chief petty officer. She said in the military, I tell somebody to do their job. They do their job. And she said, at this place, that doesn't happen. It drives me crazy. And, you know, I mean, there's an adjustment period there for, for both ends of that, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great example. Accountability being such a priority in the military. And, and it's not as much when you come into the civilian world. There's a lot of equivocation out there. So it can make you feel uncomfortable, even if somebody's like lying to you. When right. that's not their intention, <laughs> right. that's not the case. Right. So it, yeah. it can create this, you know, really elevated um, experience when, when it didn't have to be that way just by understanding her background, just the little things that might, might push her one way or the other. And it's right. not asking a ton. I, I think, you know, it's something right. that's instilled in us as leaders in the military is understanding your people. It's such a basic thing. And a lot of that's been lost. And it's just because of enterprise situations, people are working in large organizations, but it really takes uh, a veteran to have a positive experience or a negative experience to kind of elevate the opportunity there. And um, when we talk to companies, everyone wants to get involved, you know, and, and then when we tell them how, 
they still want to get involved because we're giving them the tools to make what they're saying actually true. Yeah. And these companies, Kevin, uh, that, that have the right veteran in the right position, uh, just talked to uh, somebody the other day from seven 11, great example of this. And this was a veteran that came in at a, at a good position, uh, where he could utilize all of his, uh, skill sets, but, has climbed the ladder and Seven Eleven now realizes this guy's this guy's golden i mean you know this is this is like one of our our, our best leaders now uh, at our company and I, I think a lot more not only realizing that but also now companies that are willing to train veterans for free and maybe in something they've never done yeah i mean the 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 hardest thing i think for most veterans is translating their skills and abilities right. over to the civilian world i was an artillery officer i'm pretty sure my time on target wouldn't be applicable applying to nike or something like that so um it, it's it, it is so the translation experience is very real and but if you have a, a willing partner on the other end they can meet you halfway so that's right. part of what we do we're working with hr departments to help them understand some of those experiences and meet veterans halfway in terms of that translation. So when when your friend would be a, you know approaching an HR department, they wouldn't be completely blind as to what her typical experience might be. They would have some understanding. Maybe they don't know all the acronyms, but they know enough and they right. care enough to to learn. So do you guys select these companies and and uh, kind of vet them? Uh, if you will, and and make that available then to to people that come to uh, uh, militaryconnected.org. Yeah, it's it's really kind of a two pronged approach. You know, on one side, we're engaging employers that are really committed to the to to evolving kind of their the veteran experience. I I was talking to one of our donors, and and he was saying, you know, if there's a hundred percent of the of the market, and eighty percent of those of the market says they want to hire veterans. 10% of them actually mean it. So mm. go after those 10%. And so we're engaging companies that are really passionate about the work and willing to kind of take that next step. So we want, we're creating a network and a platform that is completely vetted and is committed to the veteran. To the veteran. On the other end, you know, we're bringing people onto our network and, and giving them an opportunity to tell us who they are. So if we understand who the company is, what their values are, and understand who the employee is and what their values are, what they're looking for, it becomes a much more thoughtful partnership mm. as opposed to me just applying to this company I know nothing about. Well, in you know, if you go through our experiences, okay, I'm reaching out to this company. I'm going to talk to a veteran that's already there to tell me how it is, what jobs are, are going to work for me and apply to. So it's a much more interactive experience because all of us veterans, we're looking for a degree of trust. Uh, through right. our experience. And we want to make sure that when a veteran comes onto our platform, that is inherent. They trust us because of what the work that we've done with them and they can trust the work that we did with the employer. Yeah. I, that's so smart. And I'm so glad to, to hear you talk about military spouses too, because that is one segment that sometimes is left out. And what do you, you guys do have the, the same kind of, uh, of, of help and assistance for uh, military spouses? The reason we chose the term military connected was because, you know, th th there's one group, you know, veterans, you know, whether they're students, they're transitioning out. Um, you also have military spouses. But you and I, we all know people, 
we all know other veterans. Mm -hmm. If there's a civilian that's never served, they all know other veterans. So the unique part about our platform is the referral opportunities. So if you're a military spouse, you don't have to be looking for a job. Just get on our network and then you can refer and get bonuses for referring your friends to jobs. So so it gives it gives a, an opportunity for passive employment for spouses, but also veterans as well. If they, you know, if they want to get on our network, they're not looking for a job, but they have a bunch of friends that are. Like right. they can refer refer their friends to our job platform. And that's where we're kind of building right now is we're putting the airplane together as we're going down the runway. We're getting employers on our network and we're working to get uh, veterans on our network as well. But the outcome, hopefully, is a really positive experience for the employer. And then more importantly, I don't want to say more importantly, potentially most importantly, is that the veteran is going to an employer that shows some type of commitment to their kind of veteran hiring pledge. Yeah, I got to give a little shout out to one of our sponsors, T-Mobile. They have done such a great job of not just hiring veterans, but also training veterans and continuing to let them serve like with the National Guard and and some of those things, and really support them in terms of one story that we heard from a veteran in 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 the reserves. When she had to go back and serve, their entire team would just send them care packages, you know. And it's so great to hear because there are so many companies that won't go along with that, right? No, no. And it takes such little effort to let somebody know that you really care about them. And, and you talk and about a loyal employee after, after, you know, you come back, are you kidding me? I'm never going to leave this company. And, and veterans have an elevated level of loyalty to begin with. So you do that little thing, uh, you know, for, for the, the person you were talking about, right. that's a potentially a lifetime employee right. that knows that she's at a company or he's at a company that genuinely cares about them and doesn't just say it. They actually mean it. Hey, Kevin, uh, what'd you do for Nike? I know you worked in the, the, the food side. Yeah, I was, um, I was, um, kind of running strategy for their global health. The recruitment pitch was, was hilarious. I was leaving the government and somebody said, how would you like to come to Nike and make it the healthiest company in the world? So we, um, so the, the initiative was to engage, you know, Nike had a really strong activity kind of pillar. If you look at the components of health, really strong in activity, but recovery, sleep, mental health, those things had kind of fallen behind. So understanding that people find health in very different ways. Not everyone's going to run a five minute mile, but if we can get people's heart rate up three times a week or get them to partake in a, or get into a yoga class or a meditation class, like that just makes everyone's experience a little bit better. Um, And so our idea was how do we, you know, one, create this for the U.S. population, but then we scaled it globally. So we took it to the Netherlands and then into China. And that was a very different experience wow. in terms of, of rolling out a program in China um, around employee health. It's just right. that at that point, it wasn't a cultural consideration for them. And did you get to meet Michael Jordan? I did not meet Michael Jordan. I met LeBron. I've, I have met LeBron um, in passing. But when people are on Nike campus, you kind of have to treat them like another employee. So <laughs> amongst, so you could see Odell Beckham Jr. walk by you at right. the cafeteria and you're just like shrugging your shoulders because you can't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> it's got to be a pretty cool uh, culture there at Nike. Oh, yeah, Nike is a really cool culture. You know, for me, it I ended up evolving into the things that Nike were not 
as much valuable to me. They do a great job in taking care of employees. But the things that we talked about, you know, having a true mentorship experience or feeling trust in the organization, that was part of the reason, you know, for all the wonderful things they do, I felt out of place. Hmm. Uh, quite, quite honestly. And, and then, so it, it kind of led to me kind of departing from a cultural perspective because hmm. they do an amazing job taking care of people. And I will never say otherwise. Yeah. It, it was it Phil Knight that, uh, that started that company and Phil uh, Knight. I mean, that, that guy, what a visionary, you know, you, you can put him on a list of about, you know, five or six other people in the world that, uh, had that kind of a vision to begin with. Right. Yeah. And, and not just the vision, just the grit to push through his book, shoe dogs. Fantastic. He talks about really getting the company off the ground and he was a quite demanding leader at the time. So, so it, yeah. you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows when we're talking about, <laughs> you know, Phil Knight at the, at the beginning, but, you know, and I'm learning this as, you know, you know, creating a new organization with the help of other people. It's like, you really have to push or you're just kind of floating. You know, because you're the only person that's going to, you know, right. drive your speed to market and things like that. So you, it is really your responsibility. And sometimes it can be stressful. Did you see that movie with uh, Matt Damon and uh, Ben Affleck? I, I did. Getting uh, I did. Uh, uh, Jordan to be the, uh, the, the, the whole face of, of Nike. Yeah, I never, uh, I never saw Phil without shoes. But uh, as they showed him in the movie often. Right, right. But, yeah, but I mean, just a visionary, understanding where the market was going, understand the power of the athlete. Look at the NBA. I mean, people root for athletes now. They don't even, like, I'm a, I grew up a Sixers fan just by the nature of being from Philadelphia. Sure. But people root for players now almost, more so than they, especially the younger generation. Oh, you know, yeah. we're, we're based here in Kansas City, Missouri. So, you know, it, the entire city the you know and now the entire world roots for uh taylor swift and <laughs> my sister and, included and, and you know and uh the kelsey brothers i mean you, you can't have a conversation in, in anywhere without somebody bringing up the kelsey brothers and it's just it's just been fantastic to be honest with you uh i've lived here for several years and suffered through a lot of the the you know uh, the O and whatever seasons. And so to have that kind of thing happening now, it's uh it's a big reward. Yeah. Oh, I remember the days of Derek Thomas and Christian Okoye. Oh yeah, uh, sure. Kansas city. So, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's a, well, being an Eagles fan, it's a little bit hard to digest, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, it, you know, and the, the interesting thing is, is that hockey's going through this struggle now is embracing the, the social and culture around sports because as hockey players, you're taught you are never supposed to be the brightest shining star on the ice. It's right, about your right. teammates. Yep. Self-promotion, very similar to veterans. I, I was, it's, it's funny. I was talking yeah. to a former enforcer from the Flyers by the name of Todd Fedorik, and he was talking about his transition <laughs> and how similar it is to veterans Yes. in terms of being in the room, being able to implicitly trust everybody to your left and right. It's very similar for professional athletes. And, you know, it's just something I didn't even think about in terms of the commonalities. Um, and we talk all the time about, you know, things that we can do better for athletes and veterans. 
Yeah, there's uh, we, we've had uh, uh, there are several organizations that kind of kind of focus on both groups of people, you know, athletes and veterans, because they are so so similar. And I mean, even from, you know, moving around the country and, you know, other jobs and, and uprooting your families. I mean, there's a lot of that in, in sports as well. Yeah, or even just being singularly focused on one thing for your, you know, your entire. And that was a bit of a transition for me, you know, leaving the the military government world as well. It's it's like especially overseas, it's like your your life is your work. So coming back to a civilian environment where people have kids to take the t-ball and all those things, right? That is that was a transition as well. Yeah, so right. and a learning experience. Well, Kevin, you're a fascinating guy, man. I, this is a, it's a great idea, uh, what you guys are doing. What is the best place, I, I guess, just the website, best place for, for people to go to find out more about militaryconnected.org? Yeah, militaryconnected.org, there's a contact us button. Um, we'll, that will get directly to me or somebody on my team, um, and we'll reach out to you and schedule a meeting. So whether you're a veteran or an employer, what, you know, we're welcoming everybody. And And again, when we talk about the military connected community, yeah, maybe we're starting with veterans, but we're very going to we're going to quickly leverage kind of the power of, of the civilian world um, mm. to promote some of our 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 programs. So, again, thank you so much. It was a great conversation. You know, not just talking about Milcon, but Kenya, hockey. Yeah, all sports, I, all well, things, I mean, so. you you've been everywhere. You you've been <laughs> everywhere. So, uh, hey, and best of luck to you in the, in the new position too. Thanks, Randy, and I appreciate the time today. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.